This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is sponsored by Siberia Bar and Hotel on Bellman Street, Aberdeen. Located only 30 seconds walk away from the nearest bus stop, taking supporters to Pataudry for free on match days. Siberia Bar and Hotel is open seven days a week, all year round, and get fired in with our exclusive discounts. Head to the bar and quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pound of Foster's, a £4 for a pint of Moretti or Dark Fruits, or £5 for a pint of Fierce or a Daiquiri any day of the week, including match days. Come on, you Reds. Red slight of foot there. Hello and welcome along to episode 138 of the ABZ Football Podcast. I'm your host Gary Scott and this week, as always, joining me is Graham Steele and Gavin J. Baxter. Gents, how's it going? Good, thank you. I'm loving Graham's little Eskimo snood Northern Light Sherpa thing that I'm looking at right now. That's absolute scenes to be fair. Gutted. I feel, Gutted. I feel, I feel we need to get photographic evidence of this for the, for the interwebs. Yeah, one of those moments. Okay. One of those moments where you really got to be don't do this on video. Um. Anyway, there, there we go. In a week, to be fair, I understand why he's wearing it because it is fucking nippy in Aberdeen. They they said Helsinki was cold. Yeah, get to fuck, get to Aberdeen. <laughs> um. And yeah, I've just um I've just managed to pick myself up off the floor, having listened to around about roughly eleven seconds of our manager's post a match analysis after our most recent defeat in Edinburgh. So yeah, needless to say, cannot wait to get into this. Yeah, let's talk about that in a minute or two. But in a week that saw the return of the much-vaunted orange ball in Helsinki, that saw UEFA get all up to about a few snowballs, that saw tractor wars on the pitch, and that saw Gavin J. Baxter spewing his ringer outside the old Irish bar on Wednesday evening and what was a sight to behold. It is a jam-packed episode here on the ABZ FPAs. We're going to take a quick look back at our trip to Helsinki and our Desmond with HJK. We'll give you our thoughts on our return to domestic action and our 2-0 defeat to Hibs in Leith on Sunday afternoon. We'll check in with the latest news down Pataudra Way. We'll check in with our loanees and loan watchers. Not a lot here this weekend after the, the cold snap that gripped the country. And then after the break, we'll take a wee bit of time to take a look ahead to the visit of Kilmarnock Pataudra on Wednesday evening in the Cinch. But first, uh, Helsinki, let's just quickly talk about that a little bit. Um, a trip that had everything and a game that just about had it all as well. A debut for Papi Habib Gay and for Jack Milne in a much changed team. The aforementioned tractors on the pitch, snowballs, jingle bells in the stands and Angus McDonald Thunderbaster in a pair of sketchers and the Dons rescued a point from a first half performance that left a hell of a lot to be desired, it's fair to say, gents. Um, quite the evening quite the evenings in the finish cap yeah um strange team selection um, <laughs> we'll talk about that in a minute yeah, yeah, yep um yeah th- i think it's not the first time i've seen aberdeen be pretty abysmal but it is the first time i have seen tractors on the pitch and it's been a long time since the snowballs have been out so you win some you lose some is what you're trying yes. to say Graham. yes 
Um, yeah, I would just I would completely agree. I mean, I think I would just say that Helsinki was was Alec Guinness, genuine class. I absolutely, absolutely loved the place. So I, th- I thought you were going to say Protestant, which is what someone was telling me last week online. But never Definitely, mind. Definitely uh, shall be back in uh, Helsinki. Let's just skip over Gary interacting with the most boring Rangers fans imaginable on Twitter. Um, yeah, I absolutely had a lo- had a great time. Um, great to meet some some fellow dandies, sing some songs, have some uh, have some have some nice tasty Guinnesses, which were as good on the way out as they were on the way in. And uh, yeah, and a, a very <laughs> definitely an interesting match day experience from the moment we rocked up at the stadium and until we took 45 minutes to get into the actual ground itself and then everything that happened afterwards indeed only gav would go the whole way to helsinki and just spend his time drinking guinness it's fair to say um but so never cultured ah uh, just unbelievable but that, we're not gonna that, do that, the man who was drinking kraken and ginger ale all night uh, that local finnish delicacy i think you'll find that i was on the originals gin and pineapples for a while as well which were absolute bona fide lovely stuff never mind um we're not going to do a, a deep dive of the game but i think there's a few things that probably are worth picking out on the starting lineup maybe one that's worth having to talk about understandable on one level that he did decide to rotate because this was to all intents and purposes a dead rubber in terms of progression from the group but <clears throat> the level of rotation we saw was perhaps something no one was expecting and Perhaps we can't be too hypocritical about this because we've been asking for him to rotate, but we did have a vested interest given we were there. Um, it was still a real shock that went around the bar we were in when the when the team lines dropped, wasn't it? Shock is one word to use, yes. <laughs> I think it's it's one of those things where you can it's all well and good calling for rotation. It's a different thing altogether, giving some players their very first start as an Aberdeen player and bringing in people from completely out of the cold. Um, A matter of hours after the managers and the press talking about how much the fans mean and how big this game is and the rewards that are available to then go ahead and effectively play in some ways, not even a reserve team. Um, the The next level below that. And, you know, luckily things kind of worked out for us and we do end up getting that draw but when your man makes it 2-0 and I'm looking at that team I'm just thinking this is absolutely egregious from the manager and there's very good reason why I was sat in that pub that we were in when we saw the lineup thinking well the manager doesn't give a shit about this game so why should I I might just stay here and sample these tripping cola bottle pints like they've been sipping away on all week it was a curious decision, wasn't it, Graham? After and we talked about it at length, I think, on the walk to the stadium. A curious choice by the manager, having in his pre-match conference been extolling the virtues of the fifteen hundred Aberdeen fans who'd made the trip to Helsinki about how it was important that the, the team gave them a performance. To then, as Gavin points out, put on a team which you couldn't even necessarily call second string. It, to some extent, it was like third string. Um, some of those players. Yeah, I actually, I thought it was a little bit disrespectful. To be honest, and it's not just to the people that had, you know, I would say in the privileged position to be able to attend, to to the club in, as a in whole as a whole. I mean, we're we like to bang on about European history and heritage. Um, you know, you think the achievements that we have made are pretty impressive, but you know, we're also told that this is where we want to be competing in Europe. Um, I appreciate we couldn't get out of the group, but there's points, pride, money, coefficient points on the table. And then he talks up how important it is that everyone's there. 
uh, and then he decides to do that. Um, I don't really understand. I don't understand that one. I, the rotation is in changing out a couple of players, maybe rest, resting, like Zvomiovsky or something. Um, fine, understandable. To, but to do that, I just can't really get my head around that one. It just feels like he, he sees this as an inconvenience, but I don't think the manager of Aberdeen should see European competition as an inconvenience. It should be an objective um, and something you actually want to give your best shot. Yeah, and we spoke about this a bit, didn't we, actually, when we were away, that there have been times recently where it's felt that this European campaign has, perhaps to the manager, been more of a pain in the arse and something we've really wanted to be involved in um, to a certain extent. Or certainly it's, it's formed the basis of a lot of excuses anyway, that's for sure about why our league performances have been so poor in the main. And we'll come and talk about that in a, in a few minutes as well. You've got to wonder, Gav, if there were also perhaps some eyebrows raised in the director's box at the lineup, given the potential financial rewards that were on offer for a win, playing against the Helsinki side who hadn't had a, a game since they'd played Frankfurt, what was it, nearly three, four weeks prior, I think it would have been? Yeah, yeah. I mean, when we played when we played Pauk in, in Greece, of course, would be when that game took place. Um, you know, quite possibly. I mean, to be a fly on the wall, uh, maybe not so much with... Dave Cormack and that, but I'm sure Alan Burrows maybe perhaps took a slightly dim view of it. Um, you I never Cormack know would as well, to be fair. I mean, Cormack's, at the end of the day, it's him and Crotty and these guys who have to foot the bill if we don't make the, the books balance. Oh, yeah. And that's, I mean, I guess what we're going to, it's sad to say, but it feels like we're kind of on the way to having that conversation again about the chairman having to go into his pocket to to pay off another management team. And with that being um, probably another turnaround in, in the players and all those kind of things, the way things are going right now. Um, so he can take as dim a view of the manager as he wants, but ultimately this has been a continuing theme of Dave Cormack's leadership. So once again, I feel like I'm stood in front of Cormack Park with um, Chris Harvey and the STV teams talking about how the people at the top of our club need to have as much of a look at themselves as the as the manager and the players. Yeah, indeed. Um, Graham, if you were in the director's box, would you have been impressed with the, the lineup given the, the financial rewards that were on offer for a victory? No, I can't understand. I just can't understand the logic. I, like I can see the reality is with the resources we have, which are pretty competitive out with the gruesome gruesome in a league, clearly trying to do something in Europe and maintain your league we're never going to have the ability to build almost like two two first 11s that if you change them out, they're both totally yeah. compatible. It's not going to happen. So I can understand from the manager, I think also like we were saying, you're saying, you know, it's probably the league that he gets judged on, the domestic league and that, you know, I can understand that. But ultimately, when it comes to season ticket renewal time and DNA renewal time, the club will be making a big deal about how much they need the fans and how much we want to be you know, um, climbing the European rankings and how much we want to be competitive. So you either don't or you don't. Um, I don't think you can use it as a marketing tool indefinitely because people aren't stupid. So I was a little bit disappointing. And if I was Cormac, I'd be pretty miffed that um, the manager, I think, has been quite strongly backed. There's been a lot of money spent. I know some of that has been sitting on the bench and or has never been played, you know, through some of the loan signings. But I think there's been enough money invested that... If he felt he had to change it, it's because he's run those guys into the ground. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of on him. So he might say he got away with it, or he might say it worked rather, because, you know, a draw away from home, 
under normal circumstances, you'd probably say that's a decent result. But I just think if we'd taken, if taken a bit more care with our team selection, the three points were there. Yeah, they were indeed. Um, I guess probably the three players I want to quickly talk about who did come into the starting lineup on Thursday night. Um, let's talk quickly about Pape Habib Gay. I mean, obviously, we'd been kind of joking amongst ourselves in the run up to the game and on Wednesday um, to quite a bit. And also, I think I mentioned this jokingly to a number of people in the pub on Wednesday night about just imagine coming the whole way here to Finland to be here to see the first start of Pappy Habby Gay. And then when we found him in the starting lineup, it was like, okay, wow, he's actually going to go for it. Graham slapped five quid on him to score any time. Um, the easiest five pound that Bet365 will ever make again. Um <laughs> Perhaps you say that the, some of my bets. Well, that's true. <laughs> the that's easier true. ones. Yeah. Um, perhaps hard to judge him too much on that performance. I did see a lot of people slating him afterwards, but given the conditions, the pitch was pretty difficult to play on, and the fact that the whole team played rank in that opening forty-five minutes. I don't think we should necessarily use that as the complete measuring stick for Papi Habib Gay, but it's fair to say he's got quite a bit to go. I think in terms of Dabney's support and thinking he's ready to really make a, a step up and, and and contribute to this team. I don't think anyone who's being overly judgmental is doing so purely on the basis of the 45 minutes that they saw in Helsinki. It's, you know, an accumulation of the admittedly little that we have seen, but what we have seen has been anything short of um yeah, it's been anything short of vintage from from Habib Gay so far. And just, you know, it's just that concerning factor of it's what December now. I mean, the game was what end of November, and that's his first start. So he's come in for significant money by all accounts. Um, I just think back to when you spoke with the the gentleman in Belgium, who effectively commented that you're paying us cash money for this guy. Um, why? Um, and then yeah, it's a chance, I guess. I mean, I take the point that conditions were difficult, of course, but I mean, there were a few players in the Helsinki team that managed to to do well with it and look look okay. Um, service limited. I mean, I think he had a little chance early on in the game. I think he had a shot blocked, and who knows what changes if he if he managed to put that away. But um, yeah, I've got a lot of reservations, a lot of concern about this this piece of business that we've um, pulled off here. It just, yeah, it's early days, but it just doesn't feel like it's going to come off. And uh, I wasn't surprised to see that he was that he um, was withdrawn at halftime. Um, yeah, a real. A difficult game. I almost felt bad chanting, came all this way to see Habib Gay, came all this way. Hmm. I mean, I say I felt bad. I mean, I didn't you, really. you didn't really, did you? Um, so far, I think if my math is right, I think he's amassed 91 minutes of first-team football in his time now at Aberdeen um, since the summer. As you say, Gav, it is now early December. Uh, Graeme, your, your thoughts? It was a difficult one to judge him on, I think. I, I was pretty... I was pretty fed up after that first half at just about everyone actually. <laughs> um, and, well, it was it was pretty it was pretty poor all round. So I think yeah, with the the conditions, his lack of game time, etc. I think I'm just gonna yeah, I'm not gonna form an opinion at this stage. The only thing that I don't like, I understand you you recruit and you try and build a squad, but I understand we spent a bit of, you know quite a bit of money on him. So for him to have amassed ninety one minutes. At this point, uh, just taking over into Given the December, number of games we've played. Given the number of games we've played, you know, that's the bit that makes me, that makes me a little bit more concerned. 
more than maybe what we saw on Thursday. Um, I don't think that was the easiest game to judge him on. But if we've spent that kind of money for a guy who's played effectively a game in his whole time here, that I feel like that's more concerning. But yeah, hopefully, you know, I guess hopefully he will he will come good. Um, but yeah, I think I will I will reserve judgment. Jack Milne, with his debut as well, playing at right wing back, which is by no stretch of the imagination Jack Milne's kind of preferred position. Obviously, he's a central midfielder initially who's been converted and try to play centre half. Um, had a shaky opening 45 minutes, it's probably fair to say. Um, but I thought he settled actually quite well in the second half and he actually got up and down the line quite well, flashed a couple of decent crosses and the box was linking up with um, Rubicic actually on occasions was making some interesting overlapping runs from the centre half position. But Milner thought can probably be relatively satisfied with his work, I think. Yeah, the first half was definitely um, difficult. I think um, Hoyka almost pinpointed him at some points um, for that ball kind of in between the space between he and Rubicic or the ball over the top and he just didn't seem to really quite have his um, his bearings for where he needs to be and their man on the left wing, their kind of left-sided forward was pretty neat and tidy with the ball. Um, again, not conditions that you want to be turning at any kind of real pace with. So um, a very difficult evening for him, for sure. This is what I'm talking about. That's Jack Milne's first start for Aberdeen in the first team. Um, and I would be of the view that that maybe shouldn't be coming in uh, crucials, an exaggeration, but, you know, a big game in Europe where, like Graham said, we want to be and that's presumably where we sell a lot of our players who we brought in in the summer and the ones we've kept is the opportunity to play in Europe so for us to be then going and playing a kid who was playing for Kelty Hearts last um last season it just seems like a really big ask of him um I wondered when I saw his name where he was going to play we all did I expect that's where it was and I do think that as the game Went on as we grew into the game. He did start to come into it. He's got a little bit more in the way of athleticism and and pace about him than I'd expect. But you're just watching and thinking, well, it's all well and good giving him this opportunity, but he's how often are we really ever going to play Jack Millen at right wing back? So why are we kind of throwing this kid to the to the slaughter? He had, he did well by all accounts, but yeah, just one of those curious decisions by the manager that it's just becoming all. All too commonplace right now. Angus McDonald obviously came back into the team first time I think we've seen Angus on the pitch since I think it's St Mirren away. I think is if I'm right in thinking. Um, I felt he certainly staked a claim to be back in and around the first team from a starting perspective, not just with the goal, which in itself was an absolute raker of a strike, but I thought his overall performance was pretty decent. Yeah, I thought he was pretty good. Um, I really liked him. You know, when he first arrived, I was delighted that we we were able to agree a deal with him. And even with the summer recruitment, I actually expected him to be starting and it, to be up to the new guys to displace him. So it was good to see him back. And I think there's a reasonable case to say that we should be seeing him in the team more often. With Angus, when he came in, um, I think maybe had some, again, reservations about him primarily because we'd kind of been stung with the last experienced English centre-half we brought from, from down south. And when he came in and him and Pollock and Scales, I think are as big a part of us changing, turning last season around um, as anyone. And when he signed that new deal, I expected he would be a linchpin of the central defence. And I was 
very surprised when we started the season and got everyone in that Angus was a, a peripheral a peripheral figure. Um, I think he's just been consistently uh, a very, very good performer for Aberdeen. And what I liked about that is that what I liked about him in Helsinki is that some players could take the view that, you know, I I think Angus could rightfully look at things like I'm not getting the kind of game time I should be. And he could easily be, you know, throwing the toys out the pram. But he was just a very, very, very hearty uh, player. And he's the kind of player where I don't expect him to obviously come away with worldies like that every week. But it's the kind of thing I do expect from Angus where he's going to look at a difficult situation like 2-0 down to a team like Hoyaka, team are all over the place, and he's going to drag players through and and use his experience to help players through those difficult situations. And even that that moment uh, towards the end of the game where your man is offside but he goes around Roos it might have been a penalty but Rangus is still there he's still competing he's still trying to win everything and get um, even just keep the keep the score down to 2-2 for his team when other players could have easily just let your man round Roos and tap the ball into an empty net so excellent performance I think Angus McDonald is our best centre back I really don't understand why we don't play him I get that he doesn't maybe fit into the business um, strategy of selling on players with with greater resale value but for me you need experience and we're not nearly good enough or big enough as a team to not be playing our best players so yeah for me angus should be a starter every week one of those as well was nice just uh it's been a long time since i've been directly behind the ball as soon as it's left a, a center half well anyone let alone a center half's foot and thought that's got a chance one of our center halves Yes, indeed. Um, <clears throat> and the goal from McDonald clearly does change the dynamic of the game because I think it could have been quite brutal, the reaction at halftime if we'd gone in 2-0 down. It did just suddenly kind of spark a different reaction in the away end. Um, the second half, well, the, the, the halftime introductions of Sokler and McGrath as well, I think it just really showed as well that I don't think HJK were really all that, a couple of changes. I mean, Sokler's not really a starter, Right now, okay, he did start against Hibs as well, but we were well on top of that second half, although we did perhaps ride our luck a little bit at the other end uh, with the chance that Gavs was highlighted. But just thinking back now across the entire European campaign, we've got one game left to go, obviously, which is a, a complete dead rubber now. Incredibly frustrating seems to be still my overriding thought about this. We're currently sitting on three points in the group. There's a really valid argument to suggest we should be sitting on nine points here. Um which would have had us sitting level on points with Eintracht heading into that final group game. That said, maybe it's a blessing in disguise because obviously the, the Eintracht game does come just a couple of days before the League Cup final. Results elsewhere in Europe on Thursday night do mean that Sevco will have to go to Spain and get a result in Betis to try and ensure their progression in the Europa League. But putting that bit to one side just now, just frustrating. We could have possibly come out of this group, which would have been kind of almost unthinkable when the group was, was drawn. Yeah, that's the thing for me. I think if you have a little bit more considered rotation in Finland, like Graham says, we had plenty of chances in the second half to go and win the game. If players make better choices, I think of Miofsky, you could have fed McGrath rather than taking a chance, or um, I think Duke and Sokler getting each other's way at one point. There was definitely an opportunity to to win that game in, in Helsinki. And, and if you, you don't know, start the game in such a stupid manner as well. Well, that's exactly true as well. And, you know, obviously, Pauk being 2 0 up when we're uh, at home with 70 minutes gone, unforgivable to lose that game. And we should have 
for me, we should have beaten Helsinki at Pataudry, and then you're talking you're talking ten points in actuality rather than the nine. nine uh, when oh no, you have ten. Sorry, you have PFK. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Into the draw and pouk. So, um, yeah, very frustrating. But at the same time, it's I think it just tells you how much work we need to do because for all the goals we've scored and how well we've played at times, you just can't keep giving away such soft, easy goals like we did in Helsinki. Um, like we've done the entire group stage and even the Europa League knockout. Yeah, I think that's fair. Although the, I'm sure, like as the manager has said on many occasions, goal scored great performances, but at the end of the day, underwhelming results. Um, we could have we could have given a much better account of ourselves from that group. And I think what annoys me the most is that convinces me that there's a good, there's a decent team in there. We just need. We just need to find a way to get those better performances on a more regular basis and cut out some of the slapstick defending. And I, I reckon we'd be in pretty good shape. But, um, but I don't know how you find that balance because he's not been able to find it to date. Putting all the frustrations to one side, um, Helsinki, what a place. Fantastic trip. Um, also, nowhere near as cold as people were trying to make it was going out to be um, by any stretch of the imagination. Although I did enjoy my slush beer in the ground on uh, <laughs> beer slushy. Evening. yeah it was lovely um and i guess finally just a quick shout out to those of you who did stop have a chat with us in finland furnish us with beers and other alcoholic liquors on our travels um especially like some martin stone uh jamie guy sam i'm really sorry i don't remember your last name um apologies but you know who you are and then to find bobby's soggy biscuit as well in the pub in, in, <laughs> uh, on wednesday night great stuff Thank you. There's also uh, Callum, who's spoken to us a few times, met him in Frankfurt and then in Siberia as well, and to anyone else, because depending what time you arrived, which was probably if it was any time after nine, goodness knows what sort of uh, sentences <laughs> I was <laughs> attempting to put together. So, uh, but it was, it was pretty cool actually to bump into some familiar faces and then maybe people that have recognised usually one of you two goons from your media hoaring um, and get a chance to chat to fellow dons this is what we do this is what we do anyway yeah finland you were ace um maybe hopefully we can draw hjk again in some sort of european group again it'd be great to go back maybe just in the summertime it would be lovely on to hibs two aberdeen now sunday the 3rd of december 2023 east road in the cinch um now usually we would do a big long review of the game but frankly i can't be arsed um right now it's been one of those weeks just eight changes for Barry Robson from the starting 11 in Helsinki. Uh, only Roos, Jensen and Rubizic retained their places as we kept two up top in the form of Miofsky and Sokler. And a warning sign within about a minute of the game here, long ball over the top, saw Boyle racing away from Rubizic, but the boot polish heated striker did force a save low at his near post and Roos. Aberdeen then kind of started to really get on the ball, actually kind of dominate the game a little bit, which was good to see, created a few chances. But then despite all of that, <clears throat> one long ball over the top again. Saw Hibs take the lead. Rubizic caught out again. Boyle this time springing the offside trap. I say offside trap. I mean, he was about 10 yards on sign, I think it's fair to say. Running through and Roos, squared it to Vente, who tapped home. Uh, Bashuri should have made it two a couple of minutes later before he was denied with a great block by uh, Nicky Devlin. Really similar first half here as well to the League Cup semi-final. We were losing control of the midfield. We're being shredded by balls over the top and down the lines. Uh, McGrath had a chance out of nothing, which was saved well by, by Marshall. 
And then we suddenly decided, you know what might be a good idea is to kind of press Hibbs when they're trying to play out from the back. Uh, Shinny eventually winning the ball high, his square ball. Saw Miofsky denied by Marshall and then the ball bobbled around the box a bit, was eventually put over by McGrath. And then with two minutes remaining in the first half, Miofsky flashed another effort wide as the ball just wouldn't quite sit for him. Halftime 1-0, but at that point, despite Hibbs looking threatening with balls with the top, Aberdeen certainly were creating chances. And then a really kind of good start to the second half by Aberdeen, to be fair. Um, Miofsky netting, but his goal was disallowed for a foul on Marshall before Sokler then had a great chance after the ball was cut back by Shinny, but the Slovenian couldn't quite connect with it. McGarry then blazed over uh, on the hour mark after he was played in. Miofsky with another chance. He hit the post after Clarkson pinned one over the top to him. Miofsky then with another great opportunity. Gartman playing the ball into him, and his uh, finish from Miofsky was poked wide. And then again, despite all of that Don's pressure in the initial stages of that second half, the home team doubled their lead as Fish had a free header inside the six-yard box from a corner kick. Unforgivable stuff. We'll come and talk about that later on. And then when it's not your day, it's not your day. Penalty for Aberdeen. Stevenson handling the ball. But Miofsky's off day continued as Marshall saved his penalty to compound what was a bad day for a goal for Boyan. Full-time, two goals to nil victory for Hebs on the data front a possession 47% to 53% in favour of the away side shots 11 to 23 so that'll be the new statistic going forward shots on target 3 to 5 expected goals 1.66 to 3.27 I went and had a wee look that expected goals of 3.27 for Aberdeen this weekend is the highest that any team has managed in the Scottish Premiership this season but failed to actually score a goal in so um, gents uh, another incredibly disappointing result coming off the back of a European game on a Thursday. We finished the weekend in 10th spot in the league. We're now 10 points adrift of Hearts in third after their win at Rugby Park on Saturday. Um, 13 points in 13 games at this moment in time. Now, Robson will and has pointed to the performance, which, at least in an attacking sense, meant that we merited to get something from the game. But let's be honest, taking the league campaign as a whole, it's just simply not good enough now, is it? It's nowhere near good enough. Yeah, it's nowhere near good. I mean, it's difficult to make a direct. Obviously, you can make a direct comparison with previous re- previous regimes, but I suppose we have had the European element to contend oh. with. So maybe that does make a difference. I'm not sure. My point being, there's not obviously the obvious comparison is to the predecessor, but didn't have exactly the same domestic European sort of fixtures to contend with. But I still can't accept that as a an excuse for where we find ourselves. Because it's partly, I mean, today's maybe a little bit different. Uh, We did create plenty of chances, could have scored, but the goals are laughable. And throughout the course of the season, a lot of the goals have been quite funny. And a lot of the performances have just been pretty passive, woeful. I don't really know how to describe them. Yeah, yeah, that's probably a better word to use. I mean, a lot of games where we've just not been in the game. So... Uh, yes, today is maybe genuinely one of those one of those days, and they do happen. But that's not the story of our season. I've I've seen Robson talk about the performance and some of the statistics, and the point in his interview with Red TV, at least where he had me rolling on the floor, was when he hmm. used the analogy of how if this was a boxing match, then the referee would have stopped it. Now, on the face of things, it would appear that yeah, we've created a number of chances. And in a one-off game, you could then look at it and say, well, you know, there's nothing the manager can do if 
the players, you know, if Mielski misses penalty and guys miss guilt edge chances and if defenders just decide not to defend their box. But the problem is this is always just a continuation of what's just been really uh, for the most part of, of this season. Um, it's the same issue that you had with Glass and, and the Goodwin where there's there's problems we're seeing and there's no solutions being provided um, from from game to game. I'm just somewhat astounded that the excuse was that the players didn't have enough match practice before ahead of Easter Road, given that he'd rested too many of them uh, in Helsinki. Yeah, and this is, I think, um, where it does become just that bit more frustrating, isn't it? Again, I think you're right, Gavin, and we'll come on to talk about later on, um, about the fact that as the manager perhaps can't quite legislate for the number of chances we missed today, this isn't so much a, this performance today wasn't so much about, I think, the manager per se, um, but it's just the 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 compounding nature of what the season is bringing us. I mean, we're now no wins in five across all competitions. We've only won six games across all competitions this season so far. That's 23 games. That's a win percentage of just 26%. It's only 23% in the league. We'll come back on to talk about it in a minute or two. Perhaps to be expected, we did see eight changes in the starting lineup. Maybe a bit of a surprise that Angus McDonald out of everybody was dropped back to the bench after what was, I thought, a decent performance from him in Finland. Nope. No? No. This is one of these things that I overheard someone say when we were making the walk from the city centre to the stadium, Helsinki, is that it doesn't matter what happens on Thursday because he'll play the same team that he's played in pretty much every other game he's played uh, because that's just always the kind of mantra is. So, nope, not in the slightest bit surprised. But um, like I said earlier, I feel Angus Benal is our best defender by some distance. So we're, you know, we're, we're hamstrung before the game's even kicked off. It's not a great message to send to any of your fringe players, is it? Come in, do a job, but it doesn't really matter because I know who I'm going to pick regardless. Um, I thought, yeah, I think McDonald, especially working, if we weren't conceding goals, even if I thought McDonald was a better player than the current guys that are getting picked, it's difficult to make a case for him because, uh, you know, the old defence broke, don't fix it. But the defence isn't particularly resolute. So why would you not try bringing in... That is an understatement to end well, all understatements. Always understated. Uh, why would you not, A, consider changing it? And I guess everyone will have a view as to whether McDonald's better or worse than who's been playing week in, week out. But it's not really working, so I don't see why you wouldn't try and change it. Now, whether that's just try and keep that shape and add him in or change it around. But th- there has to come a point where if you do the same thing every week and it doesn't work, how long do you... How long can you get behind that? Well, that's it, isn't it? Um, I mean, we absolutely had chances today and expected goals of 3.27 tells you all you need to know about that. It was definitely one of those afternoons for Boyamiovsky. Hit the post twice, had one in the net that was then disallowed, missed the penalty kick. It's hard to be too critical of him on one performance, isn't it? Because he's basically carried out attacking threat right the way through the season. But if Boyan's just a little bit more on it today, it's probably at least a point, probably three points, and he's probably coming home in the match ball. Possibly, or if we're not shipping easy goals, he's maybe gets not snatching it. at chances or he gets off with it. Um, yeah. yeah, obviously there's the game can play out different ways depending on how certain moments go. But I think we've mentioned before, ultimately, if, you're, if you can't trust your teammates at the back, I guess that probably makes everyone in a creative role a little bit more nervous. Whereas if you know that well, if you miss a chance, you'll get another one. And actually your teammates are probably kind of bail you out a little bit by keeping a clean sheet or something 
I think it's a slightly different mentality. I mean, there must be a lot of pressure on Miofsky, like you say, he is he has carried that attacking threat and it's kind of difficult for any player, regardless of ability, to probably do that throughout the course of a season, for example. So something's going to have to change because at some point he's going to get injured or suspended because that's generally what happens to players over the course of a season. And if we don't have him and we're still leaking goals, it's even more worrying than it currently is. Seeded 23-13 and in the league. If you're not, if you if you can't keep clean sheets, you're just heaping pressure on those guys up up top, um, and you're never going to get anywhere. It's, it's as simple as that. Today's a, a a classic example of that. If you, it's the classic mix. If you don't score the chances you you create and you can see stupid goals, you're not going to do anything. No, no, sounds sounds obvious. And like like say, it's all well and good having the mentality, perhaps of well, if they score two, we'll score three. But you know we're not uh, we're not the kind of team that creates chances on on the regular. It's not on our makeup. Um, it's not on the way the squad has been built. So it's a it's a recipe for absolute fucking disaster. Indeed, the goals we conceded today. I mean, just appalling on so many different levels. The first is nearly a carbon copy. First of all, of the goal that Hibs thought they'd scored in the League Cup semi final. Um, it's also a carbon copy of what happens in the opening minute. One ball over the top, Rubicic caught in no man's land, boils straight through. This time he plays it to the side for Venti to tap in. And then the goal for Fish from a set piece is just criminal as well. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's happened just way too many times. We we did get lucky with it in Hamden, but I can't think of a team that I've watched Aberdeen play or a team that I've watched with any kind of regularity get undone by a long ball over the top from the goal. Not even a long ball over the top from the goalkeeper. It's, you know, it's the defense are like, you know, back deep enough that they should be able to go ahead and engage with it rather than, you know, running back towards their own goal. So um, for the, however many times that this has happened, Rubicic, you know, overcommits is absolutely nowhere to be found when the ball lands with, with Martin Boyle or whoever the attacker happens to be, you know, it's worth mentioning that he is an absolute disaster in Helsinki for their first goal as well, massively overcommitting and the same old image of Rubicic chasing an attacker's shadows as he bears down in goal. Um, it's it's impossible to ignore for all the impressive statistics that people have to bring up about Rubicic. It feels like every single game, a critical chance is being afforded to the opposition and he is the primary culprit for it and again it goes back to the fact for me that there is a much better defender on our bench who just doesn't get a looking yeah I think player makes a mistake one game you probably don't you probably don't hook him because you know that's kind of tough and these things happen but it now feels like it's every game and at what point does someone wake up and realize that if you're too stubborn as the, the manager of the recruitment team, you know, you want to persevere and prove that you were right, you've got to be looking at the bigger picture. And the bigger picture is that the defence is pretty woeful. And I think it probably sounds a little unfair to pick on someone, but it does feel like he's a big part of probably most of the goals that we concede, or a lot of the chances that we concede as well, where he has just come out of no you know, out of the defence in at no man's land, missed his man, and then where, uh, you know, Roos is having to do something. 
I don't think anyone's under any illusions that Rubizic is, you know, the, the finished product, right, or anywhere close to being that. But what I think we reasonably expected when he came in and when you just have a look at him is that he's going to win headers, be dominant, and, you know, be aggressive. But then for the second goal, which is just a corner kick, which should just be about focusing on his man and focusing on the ball um, to go and clear it, he, the ball comes in and he has no idea where Will Fish is, nor does he have any idea where the ball is. And he just looks utterly lost. Um, so it's time for me. It's It seems ridiculous that we've, since we've brought Jensen, Rubicic and Gartman into the club and we've conceded goal after goal after goal, you know, I think generally speaking, we concede two per game, I'd say probably on average, that we've not once thought that maybe shifting some personnel around with that back three would be worth worth a shout and you know there's there's like a perfectly good center back there who i think is obviously going to be liable to make mistakes as well as anyone is but i think just in these moments where experience is necessary where rubizic doesn't know necessarily how to pick his moments angus mcnall does you saw that when he played up against the guy um the number nine for helsinki that you engaged him very well all night and he'll do the same against lesser players in the scottish premiership yeah indeed i, I think that was almost my biggest bugbear as well, but the first half in particular was, we just made it so easy for him today. And Gav, you're right, Rubicic will deservedly take the stick for the first goal. But time and time again, as we've seen against Hebs, it happened at Hamden. We just, our midfield just stood off their opposite numbers, allowed Hebs all the time in the world to try and pick balls over the top. I, the goal itself comes from a long cleanup from Marshall. I saw Rob's trick claim was a miskick from Marshall. I'm not entirely sure it is. Um, even if it is, it doesn't matter. It's had the excuse that if he kicked it properly, we would have covered it. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> um, Graham's got very little time for Baz's interviews. Um, if I could have had a uh, a wee YouTube video of Graham's reaction to the interview post Helsinki uh, when we're standing in the pizza queue, that would have been good to watch. Um, but that comes back to a much more fundamental issue. But the balance in the midfield three is really just not there at all at the moment, is it? I mean. Shinny's kind of playing as this roaming midfielder, playing a little bit further advanced, which is what he did last season when Robson came in. But that worked because he had the likes of a Ramadani dovetailing and supporting him in that work. We're not seeing that at all this season. We're not seeing enough of it. I mean, this section of the show, we can just copy and paste from almost any other episode of this season's podcast because we've talked about this on so many occasions. It's a strange one because like when we play the, the sort of 5-4-1 setup and we have... McGrath, for example, playing wide um, closer to the strike because he's fed, he's full of running and full of endeavor. Um, definitely wouldn't call him lazy or a luxury player when you're in that kind of um, setup. But when it comes to the three, it just doesn't seem to ever work. And the same goes for Pulvara, the same goes for Connor Barron as well. So it just goes to show that the manager... Uh, for all intents and purposes, made a little bit of a blunder in, you know, not necessarily letting Ramadani go because I think we understand why that happened, but not going out and sourcing a, a like-for-like replacement when you saw how key he and Shinny's contribution was to the team and in turn that let Leighton Clarkson flourish. It would let Connor Barron flourish in that role as well. It's just yeah, a very strange, strange way to approach it. Um, and again, it's a failure of the management and I would dare say maybe perhaps the recruitment team as well. Or you need to look at changing the system. 
well, you could do that as well. But if you're going to be so welded to playing in yeah. this certain way, then you need to go out and get the personnel to make that happen. And we just didn't do that. No, exactly. Uh, I completely, and this isn't slating Jamie McGrath. I actually thought Jamie McGrath had a pretty good game today. It's just not his game to be what Ramadani was. And we're just missing that something in there. Um, and that's really frustrating right now. The second goal, and we, and we touched on it, for the size of our defensive line, because we are not a small outfit. We do, and it's, it's a funny one, actually, because actually our statistics in terms of conceding goals from set pieces this season, I've actually been pretty good. We're actually not too bad at it, which in my head is really, really weird because I think we look suspect all the time whenever anyone throws a ball into our box. I mean, you saw it last week against Sevco. Again today, Fish gets a free header, six-yard box. Rubicic completely loses the ball, completely loses his man. Question marks about Kel Reese there as well. But should he be doing more? The ball does drop in the six-yard box. We'd expect your goalkeeper to perhaps come and claim it. Never comes to claim anything. Well, my my, <laughs> my initial feeling when I watched the first time was that, oh, the ball kind of flies over the six-yard line. I, I imagine Kel Reese can come and claim it. But James Wright, he just he never does it. So why would I? Uh, why would I necessarily be surprised to learn that he hasn't? Um, yeah, um, I thought his. I don't know. His dive was a little bit funny as well. I think he's also. In, he never comes to claim, which is a frustration. But the defenders must know that. So it's in that situation, he's probably not expecting his defenders to miss the ball. So I don't think anyone comes out with that. There's not really anyone that I could solely say it's entirely his fault because everyone's guilty. You know, if the keeper comes and deals with it, it's not Rubicic's fault. If Rubicic does his job, Bruce doesn't have to do anything. Um, but it just it just feels like that's just the way it is every time the ball comes into a box. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I mean, to say that we've like, we're good at dealing with set pieces does feel like an exaggeration in terms to me because I can immediately think of Maeda and Celtic at Pataudry gets a free header. I can think of you know what Balogun gets a number of chances that he scores. Then we're you know obviously in trouble against Rangers. Your man um, scored the header like for Frankfurt from a corner against us. So um, yeah, maybe that's another case of statistics. Or it feels uh, like if the statistics are saying that we're okay, I feel like what it doesn't consider is how many chances we concede. That you know, woeful finishing. It's what makes us look good. Um, yeah, I feel a little bit Homer talking to Kent Brockman about how statistics can prove anything. 14% yeah. people know that. This is one of these odd situations now for, for Robson, isn't it? Where, as I touched on earlier on, he, he, as the manager, can't legislate too much for a team that misses as many opportunities as we did today. Um, but there are now serious, serious questions, I think, building about his position and the kind of tenability or otherwise of his position and it's not just off this performance today or this result today. It's, it is the compounding nature of the results. Some really bad performances this season. I mean, laughably, Robson did try to claim that the performance today was as good as any we've had since he took charge. Um, and this goes the back thing to is the, that Even if it was, doesn't matter. So what? Yeah. We didn't get anything for it. <laughs> There's only so many times you can wheel that out. There's the problem, isn't it? It's, it is laughably, and we touched, we, we, we will laugh about this until probably. The day I die, the heckin' 27 shots thing is laughable because it's like, that's great. We still got pumped out of the competition. <laughs> like so a team that is getting battered. Is getting battered, yes, absolutely. So, you know, to a team that isn't really that much better, but we we couldn't we couldn't get the job done. So um yeah, I think it's not actually this game 
This game's not the one. I know. I know. No, I mean it's it's another game without any points, so it just adds to sort of uh, the growing problem. But it's not this particular result or performance that really changes my opinion. It's just another another match that goes by where we don't get anything. There's the same errors, and in some cases by the same people. And at what point? At what point does he either realise this and does something to change it or doesn't see it and can't change it? You know, it can't continue indefinitely because our points return is just so far below what you could reasonably expect with the players we've got and the money invested and ultimately what it needs to be. He's probably safe, isn't he, until the League Cup final? Undoubtedly. Yeah, I think it's really unlikely that anything would would happen. Again, I feel like we've had this conversation so many times in the last two and a half years, but it's been great, I just think, hasn't it, guys? I think back, Dave Cormack tweeted something after the Hauk game to the effect of... Dave tweets a lot of things. <laughs> anywho, um, he tweeted something to the effect of, you know, you know, great team, great performance, great support. Barry and the lads are they're on, their, they're on track to getting this where they need to be. So, <laughs> so for what roughly about five games later for him to be in a position of thinking about that it might be time to change things I don't think Dave Cormack's pride will let him again admit that he's got it wrong so spectacularly unless yeah we get battered at Hamden and then results continue to go the way they did um, well, well continue to go the way they are and yeah. then we have obviously a potential banana skin in the Scottish Cup, which didn't do it for Jim Goodwin, but maybe a, a defeat the next game in the league will do it. I mean, that's the thing now, though, isn't it? We've got two massive league games ahead of Hamden, starting with Kamarna on Wednesday night, then Hearts next weekend. I mean, if you don't pick up six points there, I genuinely think you could probably kiss third place goodbye already. I'm not going that far. The league table is starting to open up, though. It is starting to open up, it's, and I think it's starting to open up. But you've got a game in hand over Hearts. That's true. You do, but let's just say, for argument's sake, we both match our results on Wednesday. Hearts beat us next Saturday. They're thirteen points clear at that point. Uh, with with twice as many defeats on the leader on the table as uh, wins, I'm not in a, in a confident state to say, well, we're going to pick up maximum points from those games in hand. So um, yeah, I'm, but then we didn't my, think when we changed that good one that we were going to go on a run. And I, I agree with that, but I would also counter that by saying we did we did our part of the job there. Hearts absolutely shat the fucking bed at the same time. Like, a competent manager in charge of Hearts got them third place last season from where they were. Yeah, but I don't think they've got one. So, I don't think they do either. Yeah, that's a fair point. I'm not telling, but I'm not telling you because we do. So no, I, no, no, I, I, I understand that. I guess what I'm coming from is I don't think... I don't think it's insurmountable at this point, but I do I, agree. I don't think it is, but I think it's... You get another, you get to the tail end, you get to through December, for example. If nothing has really changed, then unless everyone else falls apart and doesn't pick up any points so that the gap's the same, I think at that point you've got to, you've just got to have a real look at what do we actually want to accomplish yeah. this season. Let's just look regardless at sh- of any cup win, for example. Yeah. I was gonna say, and let's just look at that in the short term, Gavin, you go quickly. And then um, we'll- again, my concern about that is that if we do say get to January and if it's Robson, if it's a new manager, a major surgery is requ- was, was required <laughs> last January and we were able to go about doing that, I think this year it'll be much more difficult because of the length of the contracts and the money we've invested in a lot of the players that we have who are not performing up to scratch. Or who are not going to look in. 
or who are not getting a look in. Um, you know, because I just touched on it, we've got two massive games now before Hamden. And in, and to a certain extent, Hamden will kind of take care of itself. I think it's a cup final. If we can't get ourselves up for that, then there's major questions that need to be asked about it. And not just of the manager. No, not just of the manager. Absolutely not. Um, if we don't pick up six points though, over the next week, my view at that point is I think we're, we are in the, the, the danger then of becoming involved in what I think is a bottom six scrap. I, I'm not sure I see us picking up enough to jump above that. And then before you know it, we've seen it happen before to other teams. You can easily be in the midst of a relegation scrap. And let's not forget at this moment in time, on this Sunday night when we're recording, Livingston, who've lost six games on the spin, are only three points behind us tonight. St. They've played a game extra. They've played a game extra. You're right, Graham. And St. Johnston, who are, for my money, the worst side in the league, and fair fucks to Craig Levine breaking out the 4 6 0 today. Um, you're only two points behind us right now. I mean, Ross County have jumped ahead of us in the, in the league table just now. We've spent enough money in this squad that we should be nowhere fucking near this, notwithstanding our travails across continents, transatlantic flights, 27 shots against Hecken, 23 shots against Hibs. Like, we should be nowhere fucking near this. And this is when it gets to the weirder part is... Our performance against Rangers so far this season have been, have been good. I mean, we've picked up four points out of six against them. They're probably the team we are looking forward to playing the most in the league at this moment in time. If if not for our four points against them, we're currently bottom of the table tonight. Um, if we were to somehow win the cup, but league form remains as rank as it is, do the board, do the FNB have the cojones to sack a man who's won a cup, but we're in a relegation scrap? Because we know fine well... The, the Glasgow, the West Coast press have an absolute field day about this. You know, unrealistic expectations, all that bollocks. But ultimately, results in the league are going to dictate what happens, aren't they? Yeah, and they should do. I don't think if, he, if we were to win the cup, that's absolutely, obviously that would be absolutely outrageous. But if you, so if you don't win the next two, you were to win the league cup, you don't win anything, you know, then, then this kind of rank form continues. It becomes irrelevant what, you know, if he wins the cup or not, because... What are you going to do? Just say, oh, well done, Barry. Take the club down. But, you know, you did win a cup. <laughs> well, I've seen some people tonight say that if he wins a cup, he'd be safe for the rest of the season. I can't get behind that unless there's... Obviously, unless the results. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, that's so. all that matters, yeah. I can't get behind that my myself. If we end up the sort of, you know, going into the winter break around about where we are, and especially if you, you would expect to be competing with, so probably pick hearts in particular... If they've pulled even further ahead, I don't see how you can possibly be sitting on it and saying, well, we're sitting in 10th, we're being garbage, but but he won a cup, so let's give him more time. Because at that point, he'll be halfway through the season. What point is enough time, enough time? Um, I think if, if, say, in this hypothetical, we lose our next two league matches and then win the League Cup by likely some, you know, either minor miracle or performance of the season from every a single player penalty. in red and a, a massive a massive glitch in the system kicking in in the VAR uh, truck I think it would be a very nice you know silver cup shaped gold watch to give by Robson and then kick him out the door <laughs> the thing is you know what it, w- it won't happen because Dave Cormack for whatever he might say 
does care what people think about him. And you're right, the Glasgow media would have a field day if we sacked the manager that got us the League Cup, our first League Cup since, you know, the last one. Um, the last one, um, the you know, only second one in however many years that would be. So I think it would be in a very sticky situation as a club. Um, I think it would take, it wouldn't be like, you know, we win the cup, then we lose the next game and then they sack the manager. I think it would take a number of defeats, probably looking towards like the halfway mark of the season in terms of league fixtures until they started thinking about that. Because again, um, it's Aberdeen FC and right. It would be interesting. It would be the first time our club's ever really had to deal with that type of situation. Um, but the league form just now is just going to become untenable um, as we go. I think I said earlier on, we're at 23% win percentage so far this campaign. And <clears throat> we've got a host of home games coming up. We have played a lot of games away from home, um, which may be mitigating circumstances. But that's where we need to see. We, we, we currently have the second worst home league home form in the country. So I'm not entirely sure that's a good thing we're playing at home, to be quite honest with you. Um, huge, huge week ahead. It's been an incredibly depressing way to round off what was a fantastic middle portion of the week. <laughs> and the sad this, thing about the sad this thing about fucking it, club, man, this fucking club. But the really sad thing about it is that just when I found out today that Hibs were one 0 up and then Hibs had gone two 0 up, like I've said before, I was not in the least bit surprised about it. And that, yeah. that's the way I felt at this kind of point in the Glass era. It's the way I felt in the Goodwin era around this kind of point. And sadly, it looks like it's only going to go one way. What was it Yaz said? The only way is... Up or down. <laughs> as long as more down. It's been a very depressing song otherwise, I think. Right, let's move on. Latest news from maybe 24 this week. Um, again, all eyes on Helsinki. So it maybe slipped under the radar a touch that Alan Burroughs and our new commercial director, Robbie Hederman, were in Dubai for a business breakfast. Very good of them to pack their AFC branded pajamas for this meeting. Um, let's talk about that in a minute a business breakfast meeting local Dons fans in the kind of Middle East area on the lookout for sponsorship opportunities was then followed up by a meeting with Al Nassar Dubai, not to be confused with Al Nassar, Saudi Arabia um, them of Cristiano Ronaldo fame Uh, Al Nassar stuck out quite a a glossy video highlighting the discussions, Um, Gav's just touched on it, it was good of Robbie and Alan to turn up in their Don's polo shirts rather than maybe something a little bit more formal for the occasion. Um, maybe interesting to see what might happen here if there's going to be any sort of formal link up between the clubs on the way. Joining them, though, was legendary Don star Ian Jess and the Portside Pelly had done his part. He was looking dapper as fuck, it's fair to say. Um, I, I'm presuming the... the uh, how would you describe someone from Dubai? Dubaionians? let's go with that i wonder if they were confused as to who was like the main man here like so this guy he looks sharp <laughs> and they went oh it's just a guy who's like club legend is he involved with the club not really he's fucking good though be interested to see whether jess actually has, has an opportunity to be a bit more involved with the club in these types of engagements because actually you know through our chats with ian he's, he's a dubaian a dubaian the uh demonium is that what it is called uh, yeah demonium yeah. I, I prefer dubaionian yeah, I agree. So we'll Dubai go with that. Let's go with that. Um, yeah, an interesting bit this week. I enjoyed them looking at a stadium. <laughs> yeah, this is what you could build if you ever could find any land. Yeah, um, yeah, could, could could be interesting. I mean, I, I'm all for some um, 
someone from the Middle East, <laughs> not from Saudi, <laughs> or who comes with a uh, who are attempted to sports wash their their way out of something. If they just want to chuck up a load of cash our way to help break the duopoly, that would be amazing. I'd say duopoly; it's not really, is it? Let's be honest. At this moment in time, um, that would be sensational scenes. If anything else, just for the pure seed that would emanate from the Glasgow area. But um, yeah, be interested to see if anything else comes of this one. Um, I look forward to the kind of fruitful partnership uh, from Al Nassar and Dubai that we've experienced with Atlanta United. Mm. Speaking of which, and it was highlighted to me by, I can't remember who was it that fucking spoke to me about this during the week. Somebody mentioned it to me. I don't know who it was. but It's a great story. I know it is a good story, but I'd be interested if the Dons could confirm what the current crack is with our link up with KR Reykjavik because they used to be listed on the website as you know one of the you know and we and we did the whole thing when we linked up with them but I think if I'm not mistaken they've dropped off the website in recent weeks um for being somebody who we have a a link up with so um be good to understand what's happened there especially obviously because of that huge benefit we got off the back of it uh, um, yep Reykjavik and like I say our good friends in the Georgia area <laughs> yeah um anyway there we go I think that's all there wasn't much else was that happened this week I don't think uh, no nothing that I nothing that I noted okay good no games for either the young team or the Quines this week which means we can move straight to loan watch and it is a fairly condensed one this week as well Kieran Aguenia Park Thistle missed out in the squad altogether as Partick's game against Airdrie survived the big freeze the Harry Rags running out 2-1 winners in that one at Firhill in the Champo. Evan Towler, Alfie Babbage, Aaron Reid, Liam Harvey, Blair McKenzie, Dylan Lobbin, Adam Emsley, Finlay Murray, Kevin Hanratty, none of them, none of them were games this week. All of their games suffering because of the frozen pitch situation across the country. Jaden Richardson, Richardson with no game, not because it was a frozen pitch, just because he's not very good. <laughs> Jaden Richardson not in the squad at Stockport 2-2 with Aldershot Town in the FA Cup. And then big Tony Stewart at the MK Dons. No game for them this weekend either. So there we go. That's a very condensed version of Lone Watch this week. Will that do us for this half? Certainly. Excellent. Lovely stuff. Join us after the break. This episode of the APZ Football Podcast is brought to you by Doan Co. on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. Enjoy freshly topped donuts, coffee, milkshakes, soup, pies, bagels and much much more available every day of the week come along and enjoy their daily deals such as black coffee and a mini donut for just one pound or a bagel and a soft drink for only a fiver join the guys seven days a week on Belmont street between eight and eight and available 24 7 at yourdonutshop.com Welcome back to the ABZFP. Before we move on to talk about the game on Wednesday night against Kilmarnock, just a quick shout to those of you continuing to make your contributions to the beer and coffee fund, um, obviously in person this last week in Helsinki, and then online, including Scott B. Scott A.B. That's Scott Brown. See you. It might be. Could be Scott Brown's taxi driver. Remember that guy? 
Remember that guy? I do, do um, remember that guy. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, we see you, we acknowledge you. Your bread's appreciated. If you'd like to help keep us fielding beers or coffee, head on over to ko-fi.com forward slash ABZ football podcast. Links in the description. Shout us that beer or coffee. It is much appreciated. But uh, did we agree, boys? Sorry, before we started, I can't remember what we did, but we're going to just do the Kilmarnock game tonight. We'll come back, Graham and myself, on Thursday to talk about the, the, the Kelly game and preview hearts. Is that what we're going to do? I thought that suits everyone. That's fine with me. So let's Unless just... the Kelly game's shite, in which case I'm busy. <laughs> Fair enough. So Wednesday evening then uh, sees us with our first domestic home game that doesn't involve Sev Core Celtic since the 8th of October. Mental. As we take on Derek McInnes's Kilmarnock, Kilmarnock travelling north, sitting seventh in the table after the weekend fixtures. They had a 1-0 defeat at home at Hearts at the weekend. That's their third defeat in five since the last meeting between ourselves at the end of October. A solitary win over Motherwell, their only success in that period. Uh, Kelly with the second worst away record in the division. No wins from their seven games away from Rugby Park so far this season. St Johnston the only side to have picked up fewer points on the road. Conversely, though, we touched on it earlier on, Aberdeen with the joint worst home record in the league alongside Livingston, with only one win to show from our five games at Pataudry so far this season. Uh, we've played Kilmarnock in the league on 113 occasions at Pataudry. Aberdeen with 67 wins, 23 draws, 23 wins for Killy in that time. The Dons with 208 goals to, to Kilmarnock's 94. That's a goal difference of plus 114 in favour of the Dons. Kilmarnock's last win at Pataudry coming in September 2018. Mikey Devlin sent off after three minutes. Goals from Brophy and Greg Stewart seeing Kilmarnock take the points. Gav looks very quizzical about this. Must be a typo. He said goal from Brophy. Yep, yep. Well, it's because he didn't have Nicky Devlin to contend with. Mikey Devlin. One of the Devlins. One of them. One of the Devlins. Um, the Dons, 2-0 winners last time decides met at Pataudry in April, a double from Duke, seeing the points secured as Aberdeen continued their resurgent run up the table under a youthful Barry Robson, whatever happened to that guy. Not a happy hunting ground, Pataudry, for Kilmarnock. They've only had two victories in the Northeast out of their last 17 visits. Killy, it is fair to say, are the absolute prime example of a Jekyll and Hyde side this season at home. The joint second best home record, 14 of their 17 points have come from games at Rugby Park, including three points against Aberdeen in October. And then they do, uh, what was I going to say? Sorry, yes, they do, of course, have the second worst away record in the league as well. Um, obviously, the Dons with a dismal, dismal display on the Astro turf back in October, 2-0 defeat, which we were quite fortunate to get away with, I think it's fair to say. Goals from Vassell, and then one from Marley Watkins that saw my son cry. Fuck you, Marley as the Dons struggled to bounce back from the heartache of the last gasp. 3-2 defeat to POK a couple of days prior. I'm not enjoying the fact you boys are laughing your ass off about that. That's that's very harsh. I just think you maybe need to direct your ire more towards the way of Stefan Garman. No, no, fuck you, Molly Watkins. Was, he, he could have blazed over the bar. He had choices at that point. <laughs> he could have slipped it past the post. But no. Made a six-year-old boy cry. A baby. <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> Kelly with the fourth best defensive record in the league as we stand 16 conceded in their 15 games which in itself sounds really bad that that's the fourth best defensive record in the league that's more than one a game anyway um, interestingly they're better defending from open play just seven goals 
coming from open goal, uh, open play, sorry, against an expected goals against of 9.48. That's the third best record in the league. But they do look to be a bit suspect at set pieces. They've conceded five against a uh, set piece expected goals against a 5.21. That's the third worst record in the league. So it'd be, it's good that we found a way to get corner kicks back on the menu again in the last few days. Um, 15 goals scored in the league so far. It's pretty much midpoint, mid, if you will. They're a threat at set pieces as well. Four scored, that's the third best tally in the league behind Aberdeen and Dundee, who've got nine so far from set pieces. So look forward to that when we come up against Tony Doherty's mob in the run-up to Christmas. Top goal scorer for Kelly is Kyle Vassell on five. Danny Armstrong remains their main supplier. Four assists for him so far this campaign. In terms of style, Kelly, this will come as no surprise to anyone. One of the more direct sides in the league. Moving the ball forward at an average of 1.74 metres per second. They'll look to do what they did at Rugby Park when in possession. They'll try to get it forward. Try to turn your back line around to face their own goals because that works really well for us. Um, so far, McInnes has favoured a back three with two up top. The two up top usually being Vassell and Watkins. They're looking as well to get the ball into wide areas where they can get balls in the box. Again, we're good at defending those. There'll be no problems here. Happy to give up possession. Happy to make themselves compact out of, out of possession. All in all, we kind of know what to expect from Kamara, don't we, Wednesday night? But this is a massive game for Robson and for the team to, to, to grind out three points. And it's one of these that I'm not too bothered about performance on Wednesday night. We just need to get the points on the board. Um, very much so. It's a, it's a very important game for sure. Um, do we know for what sure. to expect from Kilmarnock? Yes, we do. Um, I imagine Derek will have them very well set up. I think they'll be very combative in the midfield, which is concern number one. And they do have, you know, in the in their attacking positions, they'll have Vassell and Watkins, who are maybe, you know, so-and-so with the ball, but, you know, they're athletic and, and powerful. They can certainly stretch a defence. Um, and the worst thing seems to happen for us as a defence is when players start running at them. Uh, when you consider then, they'll probably have Matty Kennedy and Danny Armstrong on the wings, uh, getting balls into the box. It's going to require a defensive performance that we've not really been able to see much of in, in recent times from Aberdeen. Um, and I guess the big concern, you'd maybe look at it and think that maybe they want to um, give up possession and try and hit us on the break. But the biggest issue this season, well, maybe not the biggest issue, maybe just a, a one in a myriad of many issues is that in these games where you'd expect us to go and be assertive and get on the front foot, it's with the exception of maybe Ross County at home, it's something that just has not happened for Aberdeen. So, uh, yeah, uh, it's going to take a performance, the likes of which we haven't seen so far this season, which is really bleak to say when you're talking about a team in the bottom six with a really poor away uh, form in the way that Kilmarnock do. But um, I think, like yourself, I would just be of the mindset, whatever happens, if it's Nicky Devlin roaming from right wing back again to score at the left far post, so be it. Uh, let's just get points on the board because... That's that's critical. Our league position is nowhere near good enough, and the only way we can get sort of that is by getting wins and and climbing the table and closing the gap on Hearts, Hibs, and Sydney. Yeah, just to add all that positivity. It looks like it's going to be raining as well. <laughs> Graham, are you are you buzzing? You looking forward to uh, Deke Ball versus Baz Ball? It's just going to be it's going to be a war of attrition, isn't it? Yes, yes. And by that I mean which fan base stays long enough to see the winning goal. <laughs> um, I 
I'm not. Yeah, I think Kilmarnock don't really suit. You're really looking forward to it, aren't you, mate? You're looking forward. Uh, to it. I am not looking forward to it. I think when we try and do this sort of countering a counter-attacking setup at home, that has worked against certain teams, but I don't see how that's going to work against Kilmarnock because they're not going to be coming out to afford you the opportunities to exploit any space and shelling it long. Generally speaking, doesn't work for us. So I'm not. I'm not. I don't think this is going to be one for the ages, but it's critical that we get the three points. And, and at this stage in where we find ourselves, you would hope we could go on a bit of a run and then maybe the performances could sort themselves out. And, you know, at this point, we just need to be getting the, the points. And in general, actually, that's usually what keeps me happy. So if we can get the three points, I think that'll be really, really important. I mean, all you're saying our home form has not been great, but we've got a run of home games. So we need to be trying to, to make the most of that and you know obviously beating Kilmarnock you look over the course of a season I expect most of the teams we expect to compete with will beat them uh, so we need to be you know you don't want to fall further behind do you? No exactly and, and you touched on it there we, we've got a big run of, of home fixtures coming up um, in the league and when you look at the teams we are facing so it's, it, we start with Kilmarnock on Wednesday then it's Hearts next Saturday home Olivia after the League Cup final um, we're at home in Motherwell uh, just after Christmas. Then we're at home at St Mirren before the end of the year. Like for me, out of those, was that one, two, three, four, five? Out of those five home games we have between now and the end of the season, there's a, a away fixture against Dundee sprinkled in there as well just before Christmas. I mean, I, I think we need to take 15 points from that as far as I'm concerned. I think we need to win every single one of those home games between now and the end of the year. That's my expectation. That, that's that's my expectation, which goes against well, set a reasonable level of expectation. I think that's that's good. I mean, don't get too demanding. I'm not getting too demanding, but I I, I think that if we're going to end up the season where we want to try and end up, we have to win every one of those games. Uh, no, you're uh, yeah. We're going to have to go at some point a, a run or a series of like a run and then you know dropped points and then a run drop points. It's going to have to take place. Otherwise, we will be yeah we'll be scrapping around the middle if we're optimistic or or worse than that so I tend to agree if we don't start putting together a run of victories it's just going to be difficult to salvage the season because our run when we come back from the winter break is not great um, after the winter break we start off we've got the Scottish Cup tie at Clyde then we start um, we've got a midweek game at St Johnston who let's be honest we know what games at McDermott Park are like Anyway, um, then we're away to Hearts and we've got Celtic at home. We're away to Rangers. That'll be three points. That's fine. Then home to Hebs, away to Kilmarnock. So that suddenly is not, you know, that good a run potentially coming off the back of the winter break. So it feels to me that we need to get into the winter break with points on the board. Yes. I know it's really obvious, but... I know I, I know you mean. It's uh, It sounds daft where we currently find ourselves. You're into a run of theoretically winnable fixtures. And we, you need to be, you need to be demonstrating that, and taking the most, the most points that are available. Yeah, otherwise the pressure just builds up, doesn't it? Yeah, that's it's, it. It's it's all well and good saying that we've struggled with the Thursday Sunday Thursday Sunday routine, and and we undoubtedly have, and I've seen Robson or people with the club, uh, maybe Burrows mentioning that teams of our relative size, when you take a a comparison of it, they do struggle, um, especially when you've played the kind of disproportionate number of away domestic games we played off the back of away ties in Europe as well. 
but you know we're we're sort of at the end of that now i think we can all gladly write off frankfurt as being whatever will be will be and we'll play whatever team is we, we decide to field with the the view of the final at hamden being the priority so for me yeah now that's no longer an excuse and we need to get points on the board we need to so almost harness a bit of a one of those kind of dead kind of specialties of just going on a run of five, six, seven wins in a row. And suddenly, you know, if you were to go ahead and do what Gary does, says there and get uh, five wins from five, we're talking about 28 points around about the midway point of the season. And you would still say performing below par, but suddenly with the league table would look a lot healthier and we can then look to January uh, after the winter break, maybe be able to bring in one or two reinforcements and take on and be back where we can reasonably expect to be come the end of the season. On that then, predictions for, for Wednesday evening? Absolute horror show of a game. I'm going to say 2-1. We're not keeping a clean sheet. No, we're not keeping a clean sheet. I, I take when you say 2-1, you mean 2-1 to us. <laughs> That's why I said it, 2-1. Just want to check, just in case. <laughs> So that means I can't flip my uh, prediction by saying I just said 2-1. Yeah, exactly. Aberdeen um, 2, Kilmarnock 1. I think this might be the first time I've ever done this on the show. Um, Aberdeen 1 for 6. That's Kilmarnock bold. 2. Fucking boo. Um, oh. I just have a feeling. I don't know. Just have a, a, a bad feeling about it. And yeah, we'll wait and see what happens. It's not very often I'm the optimist. <laughs> this is it. I think it's the first time in a hundred and where are we now? 138 episodes. I've ever predicted that we would lose, despite how bleak it is. I've always gone with an Aberdeen win, but I, I don't know. I have a horrible feeling about Wednesday evening. But let's hopefully, uh, hopefully, we'll, improve. And we'll, and we'll all just go home and wonder what could have been if Derek McInnes was done. Let's not do that. Thank <laughs> you, Gavin. <laughs> Fucking hell. Right. That is a personal opinion uh, from Gavin J. Baxter there. Um, yeah, Gary and I have nothing to do with that minefield. I will, um, yeah, I'm going to ditto with what Graham said because we're not going to keep a clean sheet. Uh, very uninspiring. We'll go one up. Kelly will get an equaliser and we'll get a goal deep into injury time off the back of a long ball, some horrific Kilmarnock defending and Esther Sokler is going to win us the game because he is the Aberdeen machine. He is the Aberdeen machine. <laughs> Excellent. There we go. That'll do us. I think that'll wrap us up for this week. Thank you for joining us again on the show. Please remember to like, subscribe, follow, whatever you might do in your podcast player of choice. Join Graham and I for episode 139 later in the week because Gavin's too busy being a music wanker where we're going to look back at the game against Kilmarnock and then we'll preview the visit of Hearts to Pataudry at the weekend. We look forward to seeing you then. Let's stand free. This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast was brought to you in association with Siberia Bar and Hotel on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. Head into the bar, quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pint of Foster's, £4 pint of Moretti, or £5 pint of Fierce any day of the week, including match days. Siberia is open seven days a week, all year round, and the bar is located only 30 seconds walk from the nearest bus stop taking supporters to Stadium for free on match days. Come on, you Reds!